This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Marina Sirdis, Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. You're listening to Trek FM. T.O. Grey Hospital. Hello and welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Richard Marquez, and join me as always with me today is the beautiful Amy Nelson and the incredible Justin Ozer. How you guys doing? Wow. Well, thank you so much. I'm very, very happy to be talking Next Generation with you guys again this week. How you doing, Justin? Doing good. <clears throat> Great to be here. And I think we have a special timely topic for everyone today. So looking forward to talking about that. Absolutely. And before we do that, we have a little bit of um, Babel uh, Conference feedback from EG225, which would be Romantic Relationships Part 2. So basically, we took um, some of the suggestions that we got from Part 1 and basically made a Part 2. So, Justin, why don't you start us off? Yeah, so for the first comment, I wanted to say first, this is part of a much longer comment. We do appreciate the really long comments, but I just wanted to at least put some of this this comment in. Uh, so this is from Melissa A. Bartell, who says, Amy Nelson, I'm listening as I type this. OMG, thank you for not being on the Data Yar team. It drives me crazy. That gets so much attention. We never saw them socialize in the whole episode and a third before that, and we never saw them socialize afterwards. Exactly. Data and- <laughs> Do you want to talk about each one as we go? Because she has comments about like four of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad I'm not the only one. So thank you, Melissa. Yeah, <laughs> always good to have all those different opinions. And then Data and the Borg Queen. I know most people see it as a seduction. I know Brent Spiner sees it as a seduction. I know most straight men and many women think the Borg Queen is sexy, but I don't. I know the general interpretation is that Data's temptation is for her. First, I feel her behavior toward him is kind of rapey. She activated the, his emotion chip against his will. And why does no one remember this? He had no real agency. What are your thoughts on that? That is a really good point. I had never even thought about that, that it was against his will. And uh, kudos, Melissa, for bringing that up. I definitely look at it differently now. Well, and isn't that how we all see, like, seduction, trying to seduce someone, especially if, if the other person's unsure what, you know, what the other person's intentions are? I mean, I guess, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's how that's how I saw it. I mean, it wasn't like a like a sexy seduction, like, you know, or something like that. It was like, mm. 
like, like she said, you know, it was against her will. I, I mean, against his will um, in the epi- or in the movie, and really wasn't any. There, obviously, her motive was to, you know, end humanity in the sense. So, hmm. yeah, hmm. good, <clears throat> good points. And we and we love when listeners bring up these these points. So uh, Melissa continues, Data and Jenna. I don't think the failure of that relationship was entirely due to Data's lack of human emotions. I think it's obvious he chose to attempt it because she was his friend and he wanted her to feel better, and she was obviously on the rebound. Mm. What do you think about that, Amy or Richard? Yeah, it definitely is not his fault alone. I mean, she obviously had issues. I mean, and she pointed out, and I think I mentioned, you know, it's like, oh, I'm falling for another person who can't, who doesn't have emotions, you know? So she recognizes her, uh, her, her failings within the relationship as well. You know, I'm actually surprised that chicken, chicken soup of the uh of the relationship or whatever those books are called or yeah. self-help or something like chicken that don't for the soul there you yeah. go chicken, I, I think i read like half one and i don't know um but uh, <laughs> i just think that those kind of books or like maybe even self-help books would actually exist in this time frame you know at least to know when to be uh when you know you're going to be rebound relationship mm-hmm. or at least data yeah. should know that sort of thing relationship <laughs> soup for the android soul there you, there go. you go chicken soup <laughs> <laughs> yeah you would think there'd be some more information out there anyway i mean they gotta have hollow novels i mean there's gotta be something you know how to <laughs> if this happens <laughs> one would think but and then also melissa goes on to say jordy I'm pretty sure he didn't ask virtual Leia about any spouse because he didn't create that avatar with the intention of a romance. And when he finally met her, it was creepy because he couldn't separate. I liked his relationship with Aquiel. Yeah. Um, Interesting points. But what do you think, Amy? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't think it was with the intention of a romance. But still, why would you insert personality? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think he was like if I insert personality, I'm going to be romantic with this, but he he was wanting it to be more friendly. He felt like he could interact with it better like it was another engineering crew member or something, but I don't know. I, I think another listener brought up like why isn't he just working with his engineering team on this, you know? Yeah. They've been pretty brilliant before. But didn't he but didn't the computer like um suggest to add that a personality? No. No, no, it was no. Jordy. What, what what happened was Jordy said was in the holodeck and was looking at these plans on this board, and he said, "You know, computer, can you show me this and this?" And it created, you know, the holographic Leia Brahms. And after that, he was talking to her, and he was like, "Oh, computer, could you add some personality?" Oh, here? right. <laughs> I remember that now. Okay. But the computer taking the step like, oh, to show you, I think I will create a holographic person. I mean, they must have some holographic highlighter or something like over here, you know, or like draw some circles and arrows or something. (laughs) It must be highlighting in the hall. I don't know. Uh. (laughs) And one more comment uh, at at the end of this part of uh, Melissa's comment. She says, finally, I'm not able yet to differentiate the guy's voices, but whomever said there should have been more family stuff on TNG, Yes. And that was Richard. And here's Richard's voice. <laughs> Insert voice here. Oh, I'm sorry. Right here. <laughs> that was yeah, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then here's it, Justin. Yes, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, Melissa, you become a, a, a recent listener. It takes a little bit of time, but hopefully that helps. But again, 
Melissa Bartel, thank you for all of your comments. I probably only read less than half of what was there. So listeners, go to the Babel Conference if you want to see the rest. She gave some very interesting feedback. Yes. And Brian Irwin said, another great thought-provoking episode. Thank you. I agree with Richard. There's a lot of that going on around here. What's gotten into the Earl Grey? (laughs) (laughs) I spiked it. Did you know? (laughs) But Brian also says, there is a lack of families in TNG. I actually hadn't even considered that before. I especially enjoyed your discussion about Riker and Soren. I have I have always really enjoyed the outcast for what it maybe could have been. The premise had so much potential and is one that really makes you step back and reassess society. I just didn't care for where they took it. Exploring a genderless species would have been a fascinating journey. I tend to think that the writers were perhaps just as unsure of how to write Soren as the actress was in how to play the character. Perhaps that's why they took it in the direction they did. If it was written today, I think they would take it in a different direction. I was not aware that Jonathan Frakes had wished it been shot with a male actor. I think that would have helped as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Brian, for your comments. And yeah, I'm glad that uh, you like the outcast because we all like it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but I think it's a good point. It's like they had a really good idea, but maybe they needed to do things a little bit differently in the, the way that they took it. But I do still appreciate the risk that they took because it was still a risk to do something like that in you know, yes. 92 or something like that. Tim Hand said, amusing to hear Amy, Justin, and Richard discuss the relationship between Data and the Borg Queen. When my picture comment on the previous Romantic Relationships episode was actually meant as a joke. Still still nice to see the Earl Grey team have a sense of humor. And we will have more for you. <laughs> I didn't yes. think it was a joke. Did you guys think it was a joke? I no, well. I thought it was a great relationship to bring up. Something that is not discussed at all. Yeah, because no, I, I think agree. Tim's yeah. comment was like, what about this? And it was a picture of Data kissing the Borg Queen. And we were like, yeah, we should talk about that. And yeah. Tim's laughing like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> you guys actually <laughs> talked about it. So you got us. You got us. But yeah. it, I mean, it still was an interesting discussion to have, but it's it was totally unexpected that it was actually meant as a joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Samara V. Hamilton says, okay, I've just finished this episode about Crusher and Odan regarding Riker hosting Odan. Okay, Crusher initially really resisted Riker as Odan's host, and Deanna was the one to convince her to even think about it. But you're right about the male-female conundrum. I think if you have a particular sexual orientation, that's a very strong pull. I couldn't have done that either. The Trill, however, have been raised with the concept of fluid sexuality, so it is normalized for them. Regarding Miles and Keiko, I completely agree that showing the lives of families on a starship is good. I'm one of the Keiko haters, her nagging anyway, but I can see how that would happen to anyone. It's just that I think the writers super duper featured it so as to emphasize something else in whichever story they were trying to tell. Interesting points. What do you guys think? You know, I I actually agree with her. I I was also a Keiko hater too while she was on TNG, that is. But like I said, when DS9 came around, that changed. So, yeah. Maybe because it it was lack of seeing her and we only saw snippets of her acting. Yeah. And and when we were talking about it it was it was like, oh, you know, Keiko's talking about plankton loaf, you know, and, and it was like, oh, uh, you know, O'Brien is possessed or he's acting jealous because he's not getting enough sleep. I mean you didn't really get to see the full interaction, but in D S nine I think she's in almost twenty episodes, so you get to see quite a bit more of it and more of a perspective. So it's a good point. Yeah. What do you think, uh, Amy? Either about uh Miles and Keiko or about 
Crusher and Odan. Yeah, well, going back to Crusher and Odan, I think in the episode, uh, Odan asks her it's sort of a poignant question. It's like, well, you know, I didn't ask if you were a single, oh, I forget, like, but that orientation, you know, like if you're a single yeah. species and mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, a dual species, you know, and because it's just sort of your, like she says, your preference. And so you yeah. don't really think to think about others if you're sexually attracted. You just assume yeah. that they're like you. And so it's definitely an interesting conversation to have. And um, with Miles and Keiko, I I don't quite know enough about Keiko, but I can understand people feeling that she's a nag in a lot of it. So... Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time I think we were finding scenes where they're being loving toward each other and it doesn't seem like Miles is like complaining to other people like, "Oh my goodness, this Keiko, like what am I going to do?" I mean, it seems like there's a certain part of her personality that maybe there's some friction, but I think any relationships like that, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I didn't it, find it extreme. <laughs> well, and I think Miles likes her spunk and attitude, so <clears throat> Hmm, okay. Yeah, he definitely, you know, pleases her with the uh, you know, Trying to uh, try to appease her with uh, being on the starship, so and as we know, also on the on the space station too. So, mm-hmm. great yeah, comment. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, very awesome. good points. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys for all those comments. They're great. Uh, we we all, all three of us definitely enjoy reading all of them. And on with the episode. So today, the day that this drops, it's going to be the It'll Tuesday be few, before. Uh, It'll yeah. be the Tuesday before Mother's Day in the U.S. It's right. something that's celebrated sometimes in different times in different places, but we're going by the the U.S. celebration, so there I think go. it'll be a couple days after this. Right. So it's Tuesday, and Mother's Day is on Sunday, so um, happy early Mother's Day for all you mothers that are out there, and um, this episode is dedicated to you guys. So today we'll be discussing the mothers of TNG, so obviously you guys... Um, who have watched the, uh, the entire series know who um, the major uh, characters and we'll be discussing them as well. So are you guys excited? Yes. And uh-huh. I also wanted to dedicate this episode to my mother. She is the one who actually introduced me to the next generation. I think it, <clears throat> when I first started uh, Earl Grey with Richard, we talked about how we got started into Star Trek and Yep, it was a Sunday evening, and my mom was watching Next Generation, and I was walking by, and she's like, hey, come sit down. You'd really like this show. And I was hooked ever since. And so I owe my fandom to my mother, and I love her very much, and just dedicate this episode to her. And we thank her for that, too. (laughs) Yeah, you're here because of that. Okay, so the first one on our list, of course, we have to talk about the mother of well not my, maybe not the mother of the creator <laughs> but <laughs> the spouse of the creator there we go <laughs> yes Laxwana uh, Laxwana Troy and what a mother she is yeah, yeah. <laughs> very much it, so <laughs> it was quite interesting cuz i watched most of the episodes that she's in on the next generation and she's doing a lot of embarrassing of Deanna isn't she well isn't that what mothers do best come on now Probably. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm happy that my mother did not do that to me. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and it seems like in a lot of these episodes, she's looking for a husband, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> oh, true. Yeah. That's true. Very yeah. True. <laughs> it's tough yeah. being a single mom. No arguments here. Yeah. No arguments here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I, anyway, what do you generally think about Loxana? I I really do love the relationship between Deanna and Loxana. Number one, because we get to see it through Deanna's perspective for most of the part. And most of the time, it's Deanna begrudgingly, oh, my mother's coming on the ship. Oh, I'm sensing my mother. Oh, you know, it's this dread, but it's so loving dread. I mean, you know that they love loving each other. Loving dread. Oh. <laughs> you know that they, you know, have each other's back. And, you know, later on in the seasons, when we get to the more serious episodes, we really get to see Luoxana shine. But for the first part, I just think it's so fun because I have a pretty good relationship with my mother and I can tease her and we can tease each other back and forth. And it just, and it's filled with so much love, even though, you know, we're giving each other a hard time. And I love the interplay that they have with each other. I like their mental connection because I think a lot of mother and daughters, even though we're not telepathic or empathic, you know, we share that common, you know, all we have to do is look at each other. We know exactly what we're thinking, you know, or, you know, yeah. saying over the telephone and stuff like that. So I think it's a very realistic relationship. I think that they have fun with each other. And we I think through the episodes, we see that they really do love each other. Yeah, I think it's a good point. Because like, as I was going through this, I was kind of making notes on some of the interactions that she was having. So in the first one in Haven, you know, that's the one where Deanna is supposed to marry this human named Wyatt. And Waxana's kind of apologetic, like, hey, they tracked me down. What could I do? But in the end, she is very, even though we know through other episodes, she's really pressuring Deanna, like, when are you going to find a husband? When are you going to have a family? In the end, she's like, okay, the situation has happened. It's not going to work out with Wyatt. I'm just happy for whatever happens in the situation. So... I, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's 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 quite interesting, like, as you go through some of them, because in, like, Menage a Troy, where they're kidnapped by Ferengi, right? Mm-hmm. It's Loaxana that's kind of making some of the sacrifices of being with, you know, these this yes. icky Ferengi guy in order to buy time, in order to try to, you know, save them. And in the end, she's acting like she really wants to sacrifice herself. So... There's a lot that she's doing, like in that episode, to to protect you know her daughter, which mm-hmm. which is is great, and may not think about as much because it's kind of I don't like to think about that episode much because <laughs> the Ferengi are terrible in it, but but you get to see her trying to to protect her, and then also the role gets reversed in in um, you know something like Dark Page, which is mm-hmm. an excellent episode where Deanna is helping her mother to get past this secret about this. Um, this other daughter that she had that died, which is killing her. So she kind of saves her mother's life in that. And the last scene that you see in TNG with Loxana and Deanna, they're like embracing and comforting each other. So I think that says a lot about their relationship. There may be embarrassment. There may be things where it's like, oh my goodness, my mother's on board. But in the end, they're going to help each other out when they need to. And I like to think for the times that we don't see on screen that they have, you know, a loving interaction. They're going to comfort each other and help each other out. So I think it's beautiful that in the end, that's like the last shot that we see is them comforting each other. Mm -hmm. 
And she's always been considered the like the mother of basically everyone on this cast. I mean, I mean, from mm. you know their interviews and everything that you know she well. Obviously, <laughs> not not Luxwana, but like <laughs> the, Major uh, Barrett, yeah. yeah, Major Barrett. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, definitely. I I mean, she's a very caring spirit. So I I mean, I every time I see every time I see an episode with her, it's just it's like, uh oh, here we go, <laughs> and it's just great. I mean, I would have loved to seen maybe not too many more, but because uh, usually those stories were you know off the wall and and all that kind of stuff, especially especially. When she harasses Picard, that is my <laughs> she makes him favorite. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and you know they had a head of a blast, but it's just yeah, I absolutely love to see the interaction between because uh, I mean what they're pretty much in the same age range when it comes to like it, as the characters or something like that. So she's mm-hmm. in a sense courting him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. well, and at one point she says that Picard's too old for her. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, that's know. right. <laughs> I don't think we really know how old she's supposed to be. You know, I don't but, think I don't. Yeah, I don't think they established her age either. Yeah, not really. Yeah, but I mean, if you figure, if I don't know how old Deanna's supposed to be, but she's supposed to be probably like late twenties, early thirties when you first see her mm-hmm. in TNG, mm-hmm. and then her mother would be, I don't know. 25 to 35 years old or something like that should give an idea, but Hmm. yeah. Well, and one thing that I like, because you brought up, uh, you know, Majel Barrett as the Loxana, like you can, you hear Marina talk about how their relationship off screen really, I think afforded them to have such a great chemistry on screen because it Mm -hmm. was Majel who was the one who, drug Marina to her first convention and said, you got to get going and appreciate the friends and just sort of taught Marina everything to know about, you know, uh, conventions and stuff like that. And really took her and Marina gives Majel the credit for her not losing her job that first season, you know, because they were Mm -hmm. looking to cut a woman and Majel sort of just took Marina under her wing and rest is history. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that is interesting when there's a certain interaction on screen and that kind of carries over off screen where she was like a mother figure to her. Mm-hmm. That's great when you see that. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Any other thoughts on Waxana, Richard? Yes. Oh. Or, or Amy. <laughs> okay, he meant Amy. That's what he meant. <laughs> but I also appreciate Waxana. I mean, because she is so crazy and out there. She's at that point where I wish all of us could be, where it's like, I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm going to wear what I want to wear because she is just very outlandish. She's very authentic. She's very real. You know, you always know her intentions because she's not fake in any way. And I really appreciate that about her character and that interaction that she has with Deanna. I mean, I've been on the receiving end as Deanna has. When are you getting married? You know, I've passed my 30s and my mother. I want my grandchildren and... Love you, mom. Um, So (laughs) I can understand that, you know, desire to, you know, I want my daughter to be happy and stuff like that. So I just love that Luoxana is just real, authentic. She's true to herself and no apologies. And I think that's great. That's true. I don't think you ever see her trying to be deceptive. She's always just being herself, even if herself is kind of outrageous or embarrasses people. She is herself. Yeah. Oh, and you and know she's a good in the role, mo- role model to be. 
and you definitely know she's in the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, um, speaking of Marina Sirtis, who plays Deanna Troy, let's talk about Deanna as a mother. Well, okay. My favorite character. So I'm going to turn <laughs> off my mic here. Go ahead, uh, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's the Amy show. <laughs> well, I think listeners might forget, and they're like, um, Deanna wasn't a mother. Well, she was uh, the first episode of season two, The Child. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I think Deanna shows incredible motherhood with this child who she did not ask for, did not want originally, um, but accepted full heartedly. I think that shows great character. Um, I think that she protects Ian was the little boy's name. And even with his amazing transformation and aging so quickly, and she was very adaptive to his needs and even though, you know, he was testing things and intentionally burning his hand and, you know, trying to experience this human life, she was very loving and accepting of him. And she had to make a lot of accommodations, you know, within her schedule to be around him and stuff like that. So I think she shows just a great motherhood to Ian. What do you guys think of her as a mother? I think, yeah, I mean, because of the situation, this is something that she didn't want, and it comes over the course of a couple days, really. <laughs> um, I, and I was noticing as I rewatched some of the scenes, like, she's very loving toward toward Ian and, you know, talks to him, you know, gently and is really just so patient with him. And, of course, is so sad at the end when, you know, he dies. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean, she. It is over the course of just a couple of days, but but she shows like so much love and so much patience for him that it's it's really wonderful to see to see that uh, from Deanna. Yeah, and for her to go, you know, sort of up against Picard, and it's like you can do whatever, but I'm going to have this child, and you know, you, I, this is my child, and so she goes to bat for. You know, this kid that's... Well, they should have asked her first in the first place. They shouldn't have had that whole discussion anyway. Yes. But yeah, it's good that in the context of what happens, that that she's like, you're going to do whatever you want to do for the security of the ship, but mm-hmm. I'm going to have this baby, and that's just the end of it. I was like, yeah. okay. Card's like, all right, that's the end of the discussion. <laughs> yeah, thankfully he was smart. So so, uh, so going back to that conference room on whether or not she could have the baby or not, what, isn't that a great scene to have in the day that in the time of uh, for women's rights and everything for when they did when they did or didn't have um i guess the right to choose i mean i mean like yeah i mean because I, like i guess in a sense i'm not saying that Picard, Riker, and and all of them are the man or or anything like that but <laughs> it's a re- it's a representation of basically what the time was like at, at right. that time yeah and she basically I, I, just stood up and said no i'm having this kid regardless no it's of it's think. it's true it's a good representation of that but it's totally out of place in tng in the 24th century for them to just skip right ahead and be like all right let's talk about this thing and nobody asked diana anything until she speaks up so Mm -hmm. but it definitely points out very clearly like the uncomfortableness of that kind of situation where they're talking about something and not asking the person you know it's affecting you know yeah and you know still again within the context even though it's not right or wrong but 
she definitely has the courage to speak her mind and to have the fortitude to say, this is what's going to happen. And you guys do whatever you have to do, but this is what's going to happen. I'm going to have this child. I'm going to raise it as my own. And, you know, and for her to have the difficult conversation with Riker too, you know, Riker's like, well, who's the father, you know? And (laughs) yeah, I'm going to do this by myself. Thank you very much. I'm very capable (laughs) Thanks for your vote of confidence, you know? Who's a daddy? <laughs> yeah. It makes me wonder, like, what would it be if, if Loxana was on the ship at the time this happened? How would oh, she react? wow. <laughs> she I would have she, been all Mother Bear, too, I she, think. Yeah. I, I think she would have shut down. <laughs> Deanna yep. would have shut down. <laughs> I mean, I can only imagine what, what she would have done and just, you know, been that you know, obviously she goes into mother mode, and I could I could only imagine how she. I mean, she's like that with Alexander, where you know, very you know, you don't have to do this. You can do anything you want, sort of thing. Yeah. Well, she yeah. goes in grandma mode. Well, mother. there, yeah. yeah, there you go. I, I tend to think yeah. she would be pretty supportive. She'd be like, "Well, maybe this is different than what I expected, but you know, it's it's wonderful. Oh no, 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 no. don't get me. Yeah, don't yeah. get me wrong. I mean, she definitely would go into uh, a protector, or you know, she she would mother him. But like, I'm just saying, it would be over the top. And it'd probably be the last draw for Deanna. <laughs> Ian, there's a nice mud bath on the holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> That's something to experience. <laughs> yes, mud bath with your grandmother. <laughs> no, okay, let's not think about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so is is that it, or did you have more, Amy? <laughs> no, I just wanted just final thoughts. I think Deanna shows great motherhood. So. I, I totally agree. And yeah. you know, not only with him as well, but like with other kids on the um on the actual show later on down the road as well. You could definitely see um the, I guess, I, I I guess um her learning about being a mother in that experience in the child that she brought it to other kids and you know basically Oh to her dealings with Alexander maybe right. later. It, probably yeah, more mm-hmm. so with Alexander, especially when Worf gets injured. So well, and I think mm. part of that is, I mean, because she is a counselor, like that training is going to make you a better mother. So I think her training being a, a counselor added to her being a better mother. I, I think, I, yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So the next one on our list. Yeah. Richard's favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My favorite. It's not the, you like the mother. Yeah, I do like yeah, the but mother. we have to talk about the son, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just, I know you guys can't see this, but right now I am wearing my Shut Up Wesley shirt. <laughs> so of course he um, as as you probably know, we're going to be talking about uh, Beverly Crusher. So um, let's start with um, Justin here. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, well, I mean, you know, Beverly and... Wesley are together in so many different episodes. So I just I just watched a few representative ones. And it was kind of interesting because like from the beginning, like even at encounter at Farpoint, uh, when she took Wesley to the bridge and she's gonna defend his right to be there when Picard, you know, gets angry at him. Um and I think overall, when I look at at what happens, like for example, she takes a risk in in data lore and believing Wesley that it's really you know data that's been incapacitated and not lore and reactivate him. So I think generally she's pretty supportive of what he's doing, wants the best for him. 
finds it hard to understand, for example, in Journey's End, why you'd want to go off with the traveler. She's just like really, she's like, you can do what it is that you want to do with your life, but I just want to understand why. You know, she she's not just going to be like, yeah, whatever, do whatever. Oh, I hate this. She wants an explanation. So even though I think we could have seen more of Beverly like as a mother, because a lot of times it seems like Wesley's like off on his own doing stuff and she's not really, we don't see her as much as a mother figure to him. Mm. When you do see that in certain parts of the series, I think she is very, you know, supportive and loving and caring and, you know, trying to think of, of the best for him. At least that's the impression I got when I watched things across some different seasons. Okay. Well, I'm going to flip that because I think her staying out of her son's way actually makes her a good mother. And because dealing with a gifted and talented child is completely different than any other type of child. And obviously, Wesley is very gifted. He's very smart. He's very intelligent. He does interact well with adults, probably better than uh, with kids his own age. Um, And so I think she's had to adapt. and, And seeing some students come through my classroom as being very intelligent and, you know, I'm sort of just like, just sort of nudge them and then they just go. And I think Beverly has figured that out, that that's what she needs to do. Give him free reign every once in a while, pull him back in, check on him, make sure he's doing okay. Keep him from being executed. Exactly. (laughs) You know, (laughs) but yes, go, you know, enjoy your freedom, give him, you know, the freedom that he needs to learn the best that he can. So I hmm. I know I'm putting it and spinning it like it's all good, but I would like to believe that that's how she did. I unfortunately um, think that the writers didn't know how to write Beverly as a mother of a gifted and talented child because there is hmm. definite differences on how you raise those type of children compared to just regular, normal children. Well, at least I've been trained, you know, through the education process, like how to recognize and, you know, some strategies to use with them. So I know that there is a difference, and I just wish that Beverly could have, or that the writers could have shown with more intent that that's what Beverly was doing, if that makes sense. No, it, that makes sense, and it's it's a good point. I, I was thinking mostly in terms of like in the show itself, we could have seen moments with them together more, considering oh, yeah. that they're both main characters. You don't actually see them together as much as you might think, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I yeah. <laughs> well, okay, but let's think about it this way, Richard. We know you don't like Wesley, but what do you think of like Beverly as a mother to Wesley? Like, what, well, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, it, I, can, I can only imagine what it feels like to be on the flagship of the Federation and in harm's way almost every single day or week or whatever, however <laughs> often it takes. Um, and to have your son on board at the same... But then again, that's the same thing with, you know, Keiko and their kid or, um, and Molly and several others, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's the reason Worf doesn't have... Um, Alexander, I don't know, but I mean, other than other than he's a workaholic, but anyway, um, <laughs> but like I, I just, you know, it, actually, I was just talking to someone about Wesley um, yesterday. Was he? No, it was Friday. Um, a coworker of mine, and he was t- he was telling me that it that 
if Wesley was like the nephew of Beverly Crusher and he graduated like top honors and then came to the Enterprise and she was his aunt or something like that, maybe it would have been a little bit better. And then maybe she has her own children and all that kind of stuff. And then she would give like those um, uh, uh, lessons of motherhood, like because her mom's, I don't know, maybe his, maybe Beverly's, or I'm sorry, Wesley's mom is dead or, or, or far away place or something like that. It can't be mm-hmm. a mother to him. Now I could see that working. And thank you, Anton, if you're listening <laughs> for that information. But I, I just think that, I mean, overall, I mean, I really think that Beverly Crusher is a great character for as a mother. She definitely has her best intentions, as you guys said, you know, let, have him grow, you know, try to stay out of the way and, um, and basically become this man that goes, you know, that leaves us, um, thankfully, in Journey's End. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it's, yeah, I would say she's a good mother, yeah. So I have a question, like, how do you feel that she leaves to go be, you know, season two? Starfleet Medical. Yeah, she goes to Starfleet Medical and leaves her child, like you say, on the flagship of the Federation (laughs) in harm's way, you know, and she's leaving Wesley there. And I mean, I agree with everything I said previously but that one thing i still haven't quite (laughs) been able to overcome with her as a mother because it would seem like he would have a much better education at starfleet medical more stable um like i think i think this is a case where what what actually happened behind the scenes is a real disservice to the show yes (laughs) Mm -hmm. because gates mcfadden wasn't happy with what her character was getting to do and so she left but they wanted to you know, keep Wesley on the show. And I think, well, we wanted to keep doing it. So they did, but it puts the character in this awkward situation. Like he's 16 years old. She's, you know, somewhere else in the Federation and he's just left there. Like what is going on here? Well, especially, especially with what happened in season one where, you know, he's, he's going to die or something like that. And it's like, it's like, um, you know, I can only imagine uh, that she doesn't even like uh, like the idea that he's even on that ship on her, on his own without her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. E- e- exactly. So it puts it in this really weird situation. And I think at the start of season three, they try to take that into account a little bit. It's like, who's going to be responsible for his education? Riker. Yeah, who's going to tuck him in at night? Right. Worf. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, but he's just a 16-year-old kid. Who's really taking care of him? Did you, you know? really say uh, who's going to tuck him in uh, at night and it's going to be Worf? Yeah, yeah he's that's, security. That's in, that's in evolution. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that they actually say that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I will take that responsibility. You know? <laughs> okay. But yeah, it, I mean, it's it it's something that's really hard to explain because I think in real life that wouldn't happen. If he was on the ship with her and he's not 18 yet, she should take him to Starfleet Medical, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but, Unless Picard wants to adopt him or something like that, but no. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> I doubt that. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, speaking of huh. tucking people in at night, especially Worf, let's talk about Helena Rojenko. Worf's adopted? Foster yeah, mother. Foster. Foster. There you go. Foster. Thank you. Um, I absolutely love this character. I She she co- tries to accommodate for someone that's completely different from her. You know, it's very aggressive. And she it, it seems like she comes from her wholesome home. 
Um, and it's just it's 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 hilarious on how she tries to tries to keep up with him and everything. It's just and especially hearing all the stories. Um, oh, what was that episode that she was on when she came on board the Enterprise? Talking about family. Thank you. That's yeah. right, family. It was family. That's right. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she and, and Sergey come on. Mm-hmm. That's right. I have all the diagrams. Or <laughs> I have all the schematics the and diagrams at home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But I just love. It's just. It's just that. I mean. She, and then, especially when he says, you know, she's not, she's definitely not like Luxwana. Uh, my gosh, I can't even pronounce any, uh, names anymore. But she's definitely not like um, uh, Deanna's mom. Deanna's mother. Where, <laughs> yeah. there you go. That, um, yeah. <laughs> where, you know, she's overpowering and everything. And he's like, he's like, he just gives her a look or says something. And she's just, okay, I'm stopping. <laughs> but I absolutely love, I love this character. Absolutely. What do you guys think? I like the character a lot too, and I think it's you only see her in a couple of episodes, Family and, and New Ground, but you get the feeling she loves Worf, she's very proud of him, um, and also I think uh, in that episode she talks about you know how they're really concerned about his discommendation and is everything okay and. So she seems very proud of him, and she even reigns in <laughs> Sergey at one point, like, let's not tell so many stories that'll embarrass Worf, you know? <laughs> and it's clear, like, even though Worf likes to have this outer facade of, like, you know, I am the serious warrior, that you do see him soften a little bit in the episode, and he's like, actually, I'm really glad that you're here. I didn't think I might be, but I'm really glad. So, like, you imagine what it was like Worf as this you know, rambunctious Klingon child and, and these these two humans trying to, to take care of him on Earth. And they must have had to have so much flexibility and so much understanding for his culture and making his cuisine and all that kind of stuff. Like, you only really can imagine it from this episode, but they did everything they could to show him all the love they could and to accommodate his traditions and his food and all of that. And they're proud of who they've raised, and it's wonderful to see. I mean, I think they're they're really great, like parents that that helped him to grow up and to be part of Starfleet and all of that because he admired what his father had done. So, I think she's a, a really great mother, and you know, she may embarrass him a little bit from time to time, but but he loves them too, and it's really nice to see. Yeah, I have to agree with you. And when I think about them raising this Klingon boy who just is like a prickly pear, just a porcupine (laughs) in every way. And it doesn't even seem like Worf is even that grateful for his parents. And that frustrates me so because, yeah, just imagine the amount of patience that these two, and especially Helena, has to provide just so Worf can maybe come out of his shell. So maybe he can have some sense of normalcy that, and normal, what's normal? Here he is a Klingon living on earth, you know, and you're right that they've had to accommodate and to, you know, teach him about his Klingon culture as best they could. I mean, how, how are they going to do that? You know, and so many different accommodations and how is that, you know, in, the home life, I can just only imagine. And so then when you see her come, come on board and you're right, she exudes, she's so proud of her son and loves him so much. And I just want to see Worf return that love just a little bit more than I saw, but that's just me. And I know that Worf doesn't do show his feelings that way. So that little bit does say so much, 
But I think Helena deserves so much love and respect, especially taking in this child who probably pushed back every single step of the way. And what a true dedication of an example of what foster parents really can do and show their love. I think it's a great, great example to have on Star Trek. Yeah, well, we've talked so far about, you know, her doing everything she could to love Worf and to help him grow up. But then she shows up in New Ground and basically drops off Alexander and says that he needs his father. <laughs> as I mean, she should. As she, I, yeah, no, I was going to say as yeah. she should. She's giving him some tough love like, hey, I've you know tried to do the best I can with this. I know there was this tragedy with his mother and all of that, but you know he's lying. He's disobedient. We're getting older. It's hard to, to keep him in line. So he needs his father, <laughs> like as, as she should. But it's interesting that we see both sides, like the proud and loving and doting mother and also the mother that's going to give some tough love and be like, you need to be there for your child now, <laughs> okay? So Exactly, yeah. exactly what Worf needs too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Richard? I, I totally agree. I mean, especially, I mean, uh, you know, I've said it in the past, in our past episodes, that it's a great opportunity that they could, um, we could actually see some kind of, I mean, what a great way to show, you know, Klingon co- uh, culture is to show it to a child, especially, um, you know, when we really don't see about, I mean, occasionally we see about it uh, through Alexander's eyes, but like, I mean, it would be, I mean, it would be great to see him as an older, as an older child graduating from the academy that he actually went to and seeing those traditions and um, him uh, mm-hmm. alchemating to those, uh, to those people, um, that are in there. So I really thought that that was another, you know, missed opportunity. So, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, for work. the listeners who can't see, Richard has his wharf forehead ridges, uh, sunglasses <laughs> on <laughs> to Wait, talk about you, you can't Worf's ta- mother. Oh, 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 oh. oh. <laughs> they fell off. As he fell off. Oh, okay. Oh, well, yeah. it's because you have a hat on too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, sp- um, so we'll we'll backtrack, but we're going to skip one uh, one on the list just because the next subject is Kalar. Yes, the absolute yep. beautiful Kalar. <laughs> A beautiful and tragic Kalar. Oh. Everyone I, say all. Oh, oh, it's it's uh, it's sad. And poor Alexander. I mean, I think he is the only one on this list that needs to see his mother die. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. terrible. Um, but I, I think that like when, when you actually see her with Alexander in that one episode reunion, I mean, it's kind of similar to what you see with Deanna. She's just like loving and affectionate toward Alexander and really like supportive. And it makes you wonder, like, if she had stayed alive and maybe, you know, Worf and Kalar were together on the Enterprise, what would that have been like? How would Alexander have grown up differently, you know? Uh, where later you see that he's having all these troubles and he's lying, he's disobedient and all of that. Like if she had that that side to show in addition to Worf's like kind of stern side, what that would have been like. But I think the brief glimpses you see in Reunion, she she does seem to be a good mother and Alexander seems to to love her. Right. Yeah, and, and, and again, another another great missed opportunity to show families. I mean, especially a romantic relationship. We don't have to see old Turtlehead with uh, being, you know, um, a hard worker, workaholic, and you know, even a hard ass on uh, to uh, to his shipmates. Uh, especially, his, I'd like to see you call Worf Turtlehead to his <laughs> face. <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 
okay. <laughs> but uh, you know, I might be intim- I mean, I might not be intimidated because it's Michael Dorn. But then again, if he's ha- if he's got full makeup on, that might be a different story. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if he has a bat lift in his hand. <laughs> Ooh. Anyway, back to Kalar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you guys a question. Do you agree with her decision to not include Worf in even letting him know that she was pregnant and that she decided on her own to raise this child by herself? How is well, that I, as a mother? I mean... You know, I think about the reason that she gives, like, what would you have done, Worf? You would have had us take the oath. We would have gotten married. I didn't, don't necessarily want to do that. So she was concerned he would try to pressure into something that she didn't want. At the same time, I mean, it gets into, you know, how much both parents should know about what's going on and all that. I don't know. I have kind of, kind of mixed feelings. Like, I can understand what she's thinking, but I can also understand Worf, like, you could have just let me know. So I can kind of understand it from both sides and I don't really know what quite to think about it. What about you, Richard? I think that was a good decision. And the reason why I say that is because obviously she knows Worf better than obviously all of us that are watching, uh, watching the show. He's committed to duty. Well, maybe not. Well, regardless, he's committed to duty. And I think he would, I think, I think what she was probably thinking is that he would have been either, a overwhelming to her and she didn't and obviously she does she's not a traditionalist so she doesn't want she wants to be that family not the typical klingon family which i'm sure she sees all the time um and you know on top of that his duty to the enterprise you know it's it's a very serious and as it should be a very serious duty for him to uh to do or a job to do and that he probably would have caught, gotten caught up. So I'm pretty sure she was thinking one or the other he get lost in, and that's not what she wants. Yeah. She wants him to be that free flow, probably uh, probably a free flowing father who's there for Alexander, who's willing to teach him, but not to go overboard and let him find his own path, sort of thing. So yeah. I have a question: like, was was there an alternative where? she would have had someone take care of Alexander while she was on this mission and wouldn't have taken him along or told Worf anything? I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope so. I mean, Yeah, like, what's her in-case-of-emergency contact for Alexander? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but I wonder, because like she hasn't told him about this, and then all of a sudden she's just going to spring it on him as a surprise because she's on this mission that takes her to the Enterprise. I know. I just find that so unfair what she did to Worf. And I mm. hear you guys. I hear her explanations. I I do understand them. I do think that she believes that she was correct. Um, but I don't mm. think it's very fair to Worf. And for him to, yeah, he could have had, what? how old was Alexander? Four years? Mm-hmm. Supposedly, yeah. so. Uh, well, I think in in human mm. years less than two, but in Klingon years more. <laughs> yeah. So, well, the little kid was around four, and you know, so he could have had four years acclimating to being a father. He could have, you know, no, it would have been less than it would have been less than two because yeah, because like season, it's, it's since season two. Yeah. So. 
Oh, that's so, true. Yeah. But I mean, my point being is that <laughs> yes, he, he could have, have used that time to acclimate, to be the father that he could have been. Therefore, when Alexander does come and in the worst case scenario that Kalar does die, that he will be able to step up. I mean, yeah. it just is completely unfair. And I just, I just don't know about that one aspect of her choice in that. I think you're right. She does love Alexander. I think she's the best mother for Alexander. She definitely, you know, cares about him and wants to do right by him. And you can see that in all of her interactions and, and her training and her teaching her son. And you can see it in his reactions and what he's been taught by Kalar, you know, that she definitely loves him. I just... I still have issues with that one aspect of her decision. I can see that. And I think another alternative was she could find out that she was pregnant, you know, talk to Worf on subspace. And if he's like, we have to take the oath, she'd be like, no, I'm still not doing that. Click. I mean, and then just have him acclimate (laughs) to it or whatever, (laughs) or whatever happens on a subspace call. (laughs) Beep. (laughs) Beep. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, We're done here. Goodbye. Just yeah, thought you should know. And, you know, she's not, a, she's not attached to, to the Enterprise. She's an ambassador. She's doing different things. But I don't know, like, if there's anything in Federation law that would be like, oh, he knows about the child and maybe has some Maybe that's the reason knows, why. But... Maybe there is a custody law where, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. in a sense, the father has, in a sense, 50-50 custody or, and also a decision like we have here. Um or at least I would hope so that everyone has that. Um, but, like, uh, so don't get me wrong. I, I, I if that happened to me and i knew there was a kid of mine out there that i had no idea existed i would be mad which you would think that wharf would be mad about um Mm -hmm. but he doesn't Mm -hmm. really show that kind of anger which which probably be he shows it he shows it a a little bit but not yeah hugely yeah (laughs) well he is klingon i mean you think he'd have anger issues or something i don't know yeah 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 but like yeah well yeah i think there's there's some interesting points listeners you'll have to let us know in the babel conference what you think Yes. Yeah, this might have turned into more of a Father's Day since we're talking about <laughs> father's rights, but... <laughs> we don't need to go into that. Yeah. There will be a future episode about fathers on TNG, so... Yeah! Okay. <laughs> we All can right. get into more of it then. There you go. Yeah, yeah we'll do that. We'll do that. Stay tuned. <laughs> All right, so let's move along. Yeah. So let's talk about Julia Tainer. So for those of you who don't know, that would be... The android mother of data, but we don't know that until the end. So yes, <laughs> Justin. basically. <laughs> well, you know, I like I have some interesting thoughts about this because, like, when you when you see her in the episode, and you don't know the first time that she's an android, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, she seems pretty like supportive and affectionate. You find out that she lied about having room on the escape pod for data. So, but but she seems like the actress that plays her does it in such like a a genuine way that you really feel like you're seeing, you know, that all of like the anguish, but also the love and support and her being proud of data and they do science together. I mean, there's some really wonderful stuff there, but then at the end, when you find out she's an Android, it makes me think, and that Noonien Soon constructed her, it makes me think, have we really seen what the real Juliana Tainer would have been like? Uh, because Data doesn't really have a memory of her because that was wiped before you know he was found. Um, or are there things that Nuni and Sung would have wanted to tweak that 
he didn't like as much or wouldn't have wanted someone else to see. So I, I think we're seeing some of that, but we're not necessarily seeing what the real Juliana Tainer would have been like. I see. Yeah. Like maybe he embellished some things and yeah, he's like, Oh, my wife's going to die. I mean, and this is like, it's somewhat terrible to think of this, but, but he's like, my wife's about to die. I can't stand that. I want to build an Android. You know, there were these couple things I didn't like about her. Maybe I can improve on that, you know, or delete these memories of this or that. I don't know if that's what would have happened, but it makes me wonder whether we're really seeing what she would have been like or if it would have been what Noon Yoon Sung would have wanted to see and spend the rest of his life with. Mm. Well, it has to be because, you know, your perception is your truth. Mm -hmm. So we are seeing Noon Yoon Sung's thoughts of his wife. Well, he says that he's gotten her memories, right? But... Can he get all of them? And it's kind of like what Data says in The Measure of a Man. Like when you put those memories or that information, does it lose the essence or the flavor of the experience? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. Are we seeing the essence and flavor of Juliana Tainer here? So I don't know. I mean, I think that it seems like based on this that she would have been, you know, a kind, thoughtful, caring person, but one who was flawed and might have done some things because she was afraid of data, you know? So you get to see a complex character, but I wonder if we're, what we're not seeing. Hmm. Yeah. That, that fear that she has for data is pretty realistic. And I think she, you know, that actress did a great job in, in portraying that and you can really sympathize with her and her struggle of, you know, sort of, again, this fostering and is she taking to heart data after how many failed attempts definitely is a complex situation for her. Yeah. When I want to give the actress credit, that's Fianola Flanagan. I think Thank she you. does a great job. Yeah. What do you think about all this, Richard? That's interesting. I'd never even thought of it that way. I hadn't really <laughs> thought of it that way until I saw it this time. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's like, you know, I, I, I mean, yeah, he very well could have um, deleted all those times where, like you said, you know, when they were making, Data one or data two or whatever, and they and they ended up with however many datas it took, and I can only imagine how the pain and uh, that she went through to see them, you know, in a sense be dismantled or break down or decompiled or whatever, whatever happened and it or failed or something like that, and I can only imagine that more likely he probably deleted those memories. That he would, uh, or at least the you know the ones that are really uh, traumatic to her, and I can only imagine uh, the kind of anguish and pain that she went through in order to make Data who he is, and um, and whatnot. So yeah, that's very interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. Hmm. Yeah. So like I think as for what we see, it seems like she would have been kind of a good mother figure to Data, but who knows? There could have been more and things that weren't so flattering. Right. I mean, I think for the most part that uh, they probably did um, capture, or he might have captured most of the um, most of the uh, what who she really is. So yeah, interesting, very interesting. Yeah, but it's one of those unusual sci-fi mothers, like mother to an android, but also an android herself, and <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Interesting. Thanks. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to Keiko. <laughs> oh, yes. Amy's excited. Amy's excited. All right, here we go. Here we go. Go ahead, Amy. Take it away. 
Well, I am very excited because I have started watching Deep Space Nine and I've seen a couple episodes with Keiko and Miles. And I know this isn't the Deep Space Deep Space Nine. No, it's fine because you, you don't see you don't see much of of Keiko with Molly in TNG. It's very little. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they we see Worf deliver and, you know, yeah. through that delivery, Keiko is a great mother. She is not in a hospital. She's not in her <laughs> ideal situation to give birth. And she is a trooper. And she <laughs> she is a great it's mother. True. You, you may I give know. birth. <laughs> oh, you're thinking Worf, okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> So I think Keiko, I mean, right from the get-go is, you know, a solid mother. She definitely cares about Molly and bringing her into the world full force and under worst situations, you know, I think she does good. Definitely. Well, and she tries to protect her in power play when, you know, O'Brien and uh, Mm -hmm. Data and Troy are taken over by those entities. She's going to do what she can to protect, protect Molly. And you see that in that episode, which is great. Um, yeah, I think she's the, fierce there. And in TNG, the only other time that you really see it is when Keiko becomes, you know, the young Keiko and Rascals. Mm-mm. And Bali's like, you're not my mommy. <laughs> I was like, this is so weird. <laughs> it's, very, it's very little. I mean, the most you get to see really is her trying to protect Molly in power play, at least in TNG. Right. Yeah. Which is, so it seems like, yeah, she's going to get through that experience, give birth, make sure that Molly is is safe. And that's kind of what you see. But but yeah, you started watching Deep Space Nine. Any impressions based on what you've seen so far? Yeah, well, when Keiko decides to open the school and uh, mm-hmm. Miles brings Molly to, you know, the little school classroom or whatever she's setting yeah. up and Molly is so cute with her and <laughs> ringing the little school bell <laughs> yeah. and, you know, it just, I just really felt like they were such a cute little family. And I just mm-hmm. really appreciated that and showing that example and, and how Keiko is a good mother and, and receptive to her daughter's needs and stuff like that. So, well, so yeah, I, I know that they had troubles writing families and they really didn't know what to, how to really um, write families back in TNG. I, I want to say so. I can't remember who, who actually said that, but like, when they went on to DS9, they really did learn how to... I mean, besides Jake Sisko, that's a different story. Um, hey. but <laughs> <laughs> oh, we could have a whole discussion yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, we could. Keep going. We could. Keep going. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, you know, when it comes to, like, Miles and Keiko and Molly and, and uh, Yoshi... Is that Yoshi, right? yes. Yes, thank Yoshi. you. Yoshi, um, I really think that they learned a lot from TNG in order to mm-hmm. write this great story for DS9 especially mm-hmm. that family. Yeah. And you do get, I mean, well, it's also because Miles is a main character on DS9, so you see him a lot more, you see Keiko a lot more, you see Molly a lot more, and then Yoshi later. So, yeah, you do get to see them as a real loving family, and it kind of extends the little bit that you saw in TNG outward. So, yeah, I think that's one of the the pleasures of, of, of Deep Space Nine is seeing more of that, that family dynamic between the three and then four of them. So Yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah. So, let's move on to Sylvia LaForge. Can we say all for LaForge? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a Jordy. It's not side. quite the same, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sylvia LaForge. What do you think, Amy? Oh, I was going to have you go first on this one. Oh, Justin. okay. All right. <laughs> I do have a few thoughts about it because like, this is another one of those weird things where it's like, 
the only time we we see the like Jordy's real mother in the episode interface is when there's this subspace message that he's reviewing when he's found out that her ship the Hera is lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, she's and it's kind of funny because Jordy has this commentary. She's like, "You're my favorite son." your only son (laughs) (laughs) like and and then she's talking about oh we have this chief engineer she's so great and you should meet her sometime he's like mom you're always trying to set me up i mean just like loxana with deanna Mm -hmm. so you you see this like you only get to see a little bit but it's but he's kind of rolling his eyes like oh mom you know so it's hard, a bit hard to tell their relationship. And then, you know, when you get into the episode, it's really this, you find out in the end, this alien representation of her that's trying to get out. And most of the lines that she gives are like, it's really important, we got to get out. Help us, help us. You know, like, if you look through all the lines, there's not that much there. So you don't get to find out too much. But um, there there was like a little bit in uh, Hero Worship uh, where... Jordy mentions that, you know, there was a fire at his house and his mother and father helped to save him when he was five years old. So it's like, okay, they're doing what they can to protect him and we assume love him. But like as a mother, you don't get to see much. It's, I mean, I, I think of it, maybe it's almost like, you know, what you see with some of the other mothers where it's like, oh, mom, you're really embarrassing me, but I love you, you know, like that kind of thing. So. Yeah, I think it's hard sometimes for parents to... Uh, learn how to interact with their adult children. And so we get to see that a little bit more through, yeah, Silva and Jordy, like Luoxana and Deanna. Um, I think we learn, yeah, sort of, we learn about her through Jordy's reactions. And yeah, just have to assume that she definitely was a mother who was there for him and and look at his accomplishments and then, you know, reflect yeah. that onto her. But she's also a captain. So yeah. it makes you wonder, like, was she away a lot? Was she on a ship where he would be along or what? I was actually just about to say that because, like, it's <laughs> it's probably more difficult because I remember being in the military, um, having family in the military. You know, you, you depending on the access and all that, it's maybe maybe not so much nowadays, but maybe in the future. You I mean, you know what's going on with. You know, with other ships and all that kind of stuff, and you'd be like, "Uh oh, mm-hmm. you know, I wonder what Jordy's doing today, or you know, how <laughs> dangerous is this going to be?" And I could right, only imagine right. that, you know, when he first served aboard the Enterprise, that that's ultimately what she was doing was scouting reports and all that kind of stuff, just to look at. I mean, I can only imagine how stressful that could be, um, especially for a mother, and you know. Jordy being, you know, who he is, wants to make a name for himself. And I'm sure uh, trying to separate himself from being, um, you know, not not being, you know, in the shadow of a captain of all yeah. of all people. And, you know, he's trying to make his own name. So, yeah, I can only imagine how stressful that is. <laughs> yeah. And I hadn't really thought about that. But, yeah, because, you know, she would have gone into Starfleet probably quite a while ago and she's a captain. Maybe she's a legend or something. And he's trying to, like, make his own name. Yeah. Right. And you don't well, hear about that often, too. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, she doesn't have to be in Starfleet her entire life. I mean... If she's a captain, she's probably been there for some time. Okay, well, I mean, so it, so how would you? How old would you say Jordy is? 30, young 30s? Probably early yeah, 30s. Yeah, maybe like yeah. early 30s. So yeah. that's still 12 years. Yeah, but you also got to remember... You got to remember that everyone lives to like 120. 
(laughs) (laughs) And I'm pretty sure with technology the way it is, there's probably anti-aging to make them look younger. So she might serve like 50 years in Starfleet. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm saying like she could still be a mother and have a career after her child is raised. Oh, of of course. But I I just wonder with his situation, whether he's on the ship with her or whether he's somewhere else. I'm just saying like, you know, it's sort of like with kids going through high school. You'd be like, "Uh uh-oh. This uh, you're acting like your older brother, sort of thing, you know, like because you're the younger one, and you're trying to out out maneuver that um, reputation, I guess it is, or it, I mean, whether however great or bad it is, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. It's pretty much the same thing. Same thing. You're trying to prove yourself beyond that that the previous or older or or older older kin or whatever you are, or, or or spouse mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and I'm just, that's what I was saying. Like you know, she's obviously accomplished because she's a She's a captain of, of, of all things. And he's the, the senior engineer uh, for uh, the Federation flagship. So, you know, yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Interesting. So it's a lot more than what, what I thought we were going to say. <laughs> well, yeah, we because you don't really it. see her much. Yeah, but, we right. don't. <laughs> makes yeah. you think of some interesting things. So let's move on to the final name on our list. And not that she's not important or anything like that, but... Let's talk about Guided. Yeah, and I think, you know, she ended up on this list. She's not really like the mother of one of our characters, but you could see her as kind of like the mother figure for the ship. A lot of people come to her for for wisdom, and she's kind of, um, you know, encouraging people and helping them along. I mean, she also is a mother of apparently a lot of children. She doesn't say how many. (laughs) (laughs) It just says a lot, and she's been married many times. At least so, twenty three children if she if she mothered one for each um because she's been married twenty three times. Yeah, yeah. twenty three <laughs> was <possible>. my limit. <laughs> <laughs> so she has a lot of kids. She presumably has hundreds of years of experience being a mother. But so what what I thought was interesting was like if you look at Guinan's interaction with with the crew, she does it at different levels. I mean, like in, in a certain way, you can see her as kind of like a wise mother figure to Picard, helping mm-hmm. to give him to give advice and she's known him for a really long time. It's weird, but she's known him longer than he's been alive, which it's just time travel. But <laughs> your favorite episode um, too. Yeah, Time Zero makes it possible. <laughs> um so so she's doing that, but then also, you know, she she's doing things like talking with Wesley about his his worries i mean in, even in that second season episode the the child like you know what am i doing here what am i going to do and she's kind of acting as as a motherly figure for him and you know i think she does that for a lot of people in in the crew but maybe especially roe because she doesn't know roe is really confused doesn't know what she's going to do but um Guinan is is giving her this advice for what to do and it's pivotal for the episode and for her you know staying on on the enterprise so i just see a lot of her interactions she's kind of like the wise mother figure who's going to help encourage people help them see things in a different light and to you know move things along for them i and i don't know i see her as kind of like the mother of the ship she's probably the oldest one on the ship too <laughs> so um yeah that, that's why i thought it was interesting to include her on this list oh and no, i totally agree um for sure uh, i mean that's why I, I wanted her to be on this list at because i mean like you said she 
definitely gives that motherly advice. She may be a, she may be in a sense a, a, a an outer space bartender um, who gives advice, you know. But at the same time, she's there to help those who are in need, and whether that be you know serving your prune juice or uh, yeah, I was going to say she yeah. introduces Worf to something his mother never did. Right, prune exactly. Juice. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, it's just it's just it's very it's. I guess it's very comforting to know that someone is on that ship to help you through some of these uh, hard times that, you know, ultimately the Enterprise does go through um, to, um, you know, cope with those kind of um, situations. So, yay for guidance. Yeah. yeah, and it's kind of a, a maybe a different aspect of of, uh, of motherhood where it's like you're, they, they have all of this experience and, and, and you're going to that person for the wisdom of, of their experience because they've been through so much more than you have. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. What do you think, Amy? I am very <laughs> impressed with what you both have to say. And I like the twist on it. I sometimes get a little guarded because, as you know, Troy's my favorite character. And so, so many people think that Guinan is the quote unquote true counselor of the ship. But with this spin as her being the mother of the ship, I'm totally on board. <laughs> I like it. She doesn't feel and, threatened now. <laughs> yes, the threat is gone. Okay, so I can breathe now. Um, but yeah, you're right. She has that wisdom. And, you know, you go to your mother because they have lived longer. They, you know, although it's not exactly, but they have this experience and wisdom and that they, you know, that when you talk to them, that they're going to tell you in a way with care and with love and you know, sometimes it might need tough love and we'll just get back out there and, you know, or sometimes they'll coddle you. And you're right. Guinan is a very good uh, mother figure for the entire ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll just say something about, you know, if, if you're saying that Guinan is the true counselor, Guinan does do counseling. Troy does do counseling as well. I think their strengths are in different areas and for different situations. So they're both contributing something overall. Yes. Unfortunately, we didn't see get to see Troy do as much counseling as I may have liked. But when you do see her doing that, she's doing it for for the right situation. She has the right experience. And I actually think in a lot of those situations, it's something Guinan wouldn't be able to help in the same way. So Agreed. Very much so. Of course, Amy would agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's move on to final thoughts. Let's, uh, let's start with you, Justin. Well, you know, I, I think I've said it a lot of times. I always enjoy when we take like a certain look or a certain spin on things, like just looking at the mothers of TNG. So it caused me to look at certain episodes and certain moments. Um, and it made me realize, you know, we get to see a lot of Loxana as a mother, <laughs> right? And we get to see just little bits of of other characters as as mothers on on TNG. But I think what you can kind of see as as a thread, at least for how it's written in in TNG, there's a lot of themes of you know love and support and caring. In the case of Guinan, wisdom as well. Um, and you find that you know the mother figures on the next generation are very influential in in the lives of the people who are their their children or adopted children, um, and that they're just you know a really important part to to the fabric of the series. I wish we would have seen more because this probably should be a longer list, right? Like, what do we know about Riker's mother? Nothing, really. What do we know about Picard's mother? Oh, you know, we see her as, as uh, you know, a figment of his imagination serving tea, right? 
I feel like we should know something about it. all of the main characters, mothers and more. But I do like what we got. Um, and I think it you do see them as really important, positive influences. And even when there's something that you dread or don't look forward to, like, you know, Loxana appearing on the ship, there's still, you know, a, a lot of, of love and support there and important influence um, in the lives of the characters. Amy? Yeah, I, again, yeah, echo what you say, Justin, because it is really interesting to look at this list. And, you know, as we were discussing, like, who to include, you know, and and just like, oh, man, you're right. There's not a lot of mothers, you know. And so, but I really appreciate the um, the variety of mother that we get to see. You know, we get to see a two-parent household with Jordy and his mom and dad. We get to see foster parents with Worf. We get to see single mother with Luaxana, you know, and and Kalar. Uh, we get to see <clears throat> Data's, I don't know, you wouldn't even call that foster. I don't Android know what type facsimile. of mother. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what type of mother that is, but they showed it there on TNG, you know. And so we get to see a variety of different types of mothers being represented. And I think they did, for the time, they did a really good job in that and representing all these different types of mothers, even mother figures in Guinan, you know. And I just, I really enjoyed this discussion and I just love all the things that we got to talk about with this. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, and actually, like, if you look at the list, less than half of them are human. Waxana isn't, Deanna isn't, uh, Kalar isn't, uh, Guinan isn't. So it, I think it's Juliana kind of interesting. Juliana isn't. Name. Oh, and Juliana isn't, right? Because she's the <laughs> she's android the representation android. for what we see, right? So yeah. the majority of them aren't even like, you know, human yeah. parents. They're alien or something, whatever Juliana is in the, yeah. in the episode. And I think they just, they show different aspects of mothers of being annoying of being loving of being overbearing of being absent you know in some cases Mm -hmm. like with beverly you know i just i think they really covered the spectrum there with mothers yeah you know talking about this it makes me want to talk to my mom now (laughs) (laughs) um no 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 we're we're good we're good (laughs) but like i'm glad we talked about this um you know as you as you guys have obviously um, pointed out, that you know, a motherly advice can come from almost uh, almost anyone. Uh, that's especially in your life, because I mean, I know when I grew up, uh, yeah, my mother wasn't always there, but I always had those figures like my stepmother and several other friends um, that I had that are older, way old. But, I don't want to say that. <laughs> Not way older. <laughs> Not 600 years old. Not 600 years old, like guy, yeah. <laughs> but like just older than me that have seen life more than me. And, uh, you know, without that advice, I probably wouldn't be the person that I am today thanks to those mothers. So I personally want to say thank you to all those mothers that are out there that give that kind of advice to those people, whether they want it or not. <laughs> um <laughs> And I, I certainly do appreciate you guys. So Yes, thank you to all the mothers out there. Okay. <laughs> okay, so um, after a 
you know, clear my eyes from the tears and everything. Oh. No. <laughs> um, a preview for next week. So back by popular demand, as you guys may or may not know through the rumor mills, we are doing a standard orbit and Earl Grey crossover again, but this time the best and worst TNG and TOS movies. So we would love to see you guys. We'll post a picture uh, of us, uh, uh, for this or for the uh, before this episode, and we would love to hear you guys' comments uh, before we even get to it. And I'm sure we'll talk about it on Standard Orbit, and also on Earl Grey. Yeah, and I think we want to let people know which movies we'll be talking about because unlike the episode one where it was like entire seasons that we were comparing, uh, there's six of us now because Haley Stoddard is co-host of of right. Standard Orbit, so. It'll be a, a little more uh, restricted, but we'll be talking about four different movies. So we'll go on Standard Orbit to talk about the best movies, uh, which is going to be Star Trek II and First Contact, based on the IMDb ratings. Then on Earl Grey, we'll be talking about the worst movies, which will be Star Trek V and, sorry, Amy, Nemesis. <laughs> it's got to be a mistake. I just, it's got to be a mistake. Listeners, <laughs> you've got to back me up on this. You know that that's going to be a very interesting discussion because I love Nemesis. Uh, we're going to well, have to I, bring I, boxing I, gloves. <laughs> yes. I'm well, serious. I can't believe, I stupid IMDB, what did they know? <laughs> oh, it's thousands of people putting in their ratings. But, and you know, what that, do they know? That's that's a general consensus. <laughs> now, I'll also say, listeners, uh, you should tune into that Standard Orbit because I have some quite controversial opinions about Star Trek too. So you have that Ooh. to look forward to as well. <laughs> Definitely uh, bring it yeah. out the boxing gloves. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so, another... Another crossover with the great Standard Orbit. It's going to be so much fun. Another epic crossover. It's going to be a ton of fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it has been so much fun talking about the mothers of the next generation. But that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here is what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Warp 5. I guess I'm going to be the one dissenter because I saw major differences, maybe not in the way it was shot, but in the storylines. And I just thought, yeah, it's Klingon court. And that's pretty much where the similarities ended for me. The 602 Club. And I really love, before they go to the tension, their principal, Bentley, saying, you know, you get one life and you get to decide how you're going to spend it. And on top of that, Bravestone says um, to Finbar, he says, you know, it's a lot easier to be brave when you've got lives to spare. It's a lot harder when you only have one life. And Finbar's like, you've only ever had one life. The Orb. I feel like they found a reason for why Cisco would say, okay, I'll stay. Otherwise, you know, he immediately at the beginning was like, uh, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to get involved. Send me back to my universe. This is not my place. Earl Grey. Wesley and Petru pass by Worf's quarters where they hear screams coming from within. They find Worf is being beaten by Jordy, Tasha, and Data. <laughs> There's more. Petru moves in to help, but Wesley stops him. He explains that this moment of humiliation is one celebrated by Klingons. <laughs> okay. So... 
And and the script goes on to explain that Worf tearfully thanks Jordy, Tasha, and Data because being humiliated by friends makes it, quote, the finest humiliation he'd ever experienced. <laughs> okay, I almost believe that, except the part that says Worf in tears. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find this amazing show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts about today's show, and there are many ways you could do that. The best place to join the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. Now, if you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That'll come right to us and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So Justin, where can people contact you when you're not wondering what we really know about Data's mother? Well, when I'm not wondering that... You can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek, uh, currently tweeting out my Season 5 rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So, Richard, where can people contact you when you're not pointing out to Luaxana Troy that it's Worf and not Woof? That's right, because she's wrong. No, it's <laughs> well, I counted this time. She says it, like, in three different episodes. Does she? Oh, my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> Well, uh, you guys can find me uh, also on the Babel Conference. I pop in here and there, and also on Twitter. My handle is xransom. Uh, so, Jamie, oh, Jamie, oh my gosh, <laughs> wow, I don't know where that came from. Wow, am I being replaced? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> That's funny. all right, here we go, here we go. So, Avi, where can people contact you when you're not providing wisdom to the crew from the 10 forward? Well, you can find me here on the network. I host The Edge with Patrick Devlin. That is our podcast for Star Trek Discovery. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, where I'm currently, I'm going to follow Justin's uh, lead, where I'm currently in my Deep Space Nine watch. I don't know if I could say rewatch because <laughs> it's I, anyway. So I am doing that. So you can follow me there. Uh, but my favorite place is on the Babel Conference. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producers' credits, and more. Available through our special patrons' website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. 
We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers. They are Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you so much for supporting Trek FM and Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Counselor's personal log. My mother is on board. Great joy and gratitude. Mmm, warrior juice. <laughs> <laughs>